Marty, God bless you. Thank you. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. 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 If you'll turn with me tonight to the Gospel of Luke. It's a very familiar passage for this time of year. Even those who are not of the faith, who do not have anything to do with the church, they, they've heard this passage before. Um, Luke chapter 2, and the children tonight did a really good job in reciting this familiar passage for us. And this may be a, actually a passage of Scripture that is part of your family tradition. I pray that you do. I pray that if you still have children at home, that you are focusing this night and tomorrow morning on the gospel. Amen? One thing I will ask as well is, as I'm looking around, if you do not have a candle, um, would you like to raise your hand? If you did not get one coming in, okay. Before the end of our sermon, I want to need to make sure that these folks get a candle. Could you make sure that happens? Thank you very much. Well, we have a lot of visitors here tonight, and we're glad that you're here. I pray that this is a blessed night with your family. I pray that the Lord will warm your heart as you're here at Sovereign Grace. If you'll turn to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, I want to ask that if you can, let's stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Let's pray. Dear God, tonight we we hear your word, and very familiar story to us all, but Lord, there is such truth here in the historical, real account of what occurred on the night that your son was born. Lord, we are sinful people who live under the curse of our father Adam, and Father, we are desperate for your rescue, and Lord, you provided salvation through your Son. And tonight is the night, God, that we remember the holiness of the night that your Son was born. 
not for anything other than celebrating and joyful praise to you because you did not forget us in our sin and you've rescued us from the curse. And God, tonight, I pray that you would allow us to praise you and to celebrate your son as your people. And to God, tonight, God, I pray that you'd speak to us in your word something very true and something very real. Let this time be for your glory and speak to our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a seat. We sang this song tonight, and I don't know if you've ever paid attention to the third verse of Joy to the World. The third verse of this classic Christian hymn says this, No more let sins and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. You ever paid attention to that one verse in this celebratory hymn? There is a curse that brings us sorrow. Tonight I want us to see in this text exactly why these shepherds, number one, were afraid, apart from being visited by a a divine being, (laughs) a glorious messenger of God, the angel. But also, the night that this angel arrived and the night that our Savior was born was a night that the curse was lifted. That's the point we want to see here because this idea, far as the curse is found, Jesus' birth in Bethlehem signifies an important change in the relationship between the divine and the human. Between God Almighty and His creation, the relationship has been strained from the beginning when Adam and Eve failed. Would you all agree with that? And this night that Jesus was born... This is the night, and this is why this, the, these angels were singing such grand praises, because finally the curse was lifted. The birth of, its, of the Son, the birth of our Savior, allows for this curse, this division between us and God to finally be remedied. And so the Lord first, let's think about this, the God first curses the serpent Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15. And if you remember that curse that God proclaims against the serpent, it brought enmity between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. So that established, that curse of the serpent established this tension that we still have today between us and evil. Verse 15 says, this is the curse that, G- that God says to the serpent, talking about the offspring of the woman. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, it was speaking about the, the, the children that would come after Eve, but more specifically, when we look at the term offspring in the singular, Paul tells us that that was talking about one particular offspring to come, and that would be Jesus himself. And so when Jesus is born on this night, the curse is lifted. Amen? 
The second curse that God gives in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 16 comes against Eve herself. And ladies, I'm not of the female gender. I do not understand the curse that you uh, deal with. But trust me, I, I, I sympathize with you. The pain of childbirth is part of the curse. And then even in this curse, God says that you, Eve, and all of your, all the daughters born after you would be ruled over by your husband. And lastly, there is a final curse that God gives to Adam in Genesis chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And we know that this curse against Adam is one that causes the suffering that we endure when we work. Because the ground that Adam would then have to now dig and scratch to earn and gain enough food to survive became a toil. The struggle and suffering to provide daily needs for our family, is part of Adam's curse. The sweat and the blood that is required of us now when we work. That's part of the curse. Now, Jesus' birth was, and I want to say Jesus' birth still is, the answer to that curse. Amen? His life was that payment that was necessary for the sin against God our Creator. His resurrection after His death on the cross lifted the curse of death that that accompanies the sin that we deal with. But in order to die, Jesus had to first live. And in order to live, let's just just be real, real here, how do you live? You have to be born first in order to live. And this is why Jesus' birth is so important to the redemption of humanity from this curse. Because Jesus is not just this phantasm, this ghost that just appears like a human being, but is really a spirit. He is a fully human being who understands everything we go to, yet he was sinless. And in order to be a full human, he had to go through the birth. His mother Mary had to give birth to him. And we looked at this on Sunday. That birth was as natural as any natural birth that we go through. It was a full-term birth, a full-term pregnancy. He was a fully human being, everything like you and me, except no sin. At the core of our human condition is the sin that is caused by our evil stubbornness. How many of us in this room will confess that we're stubborn? Anybody stubborn in this room? Anyone who did not raise their hand, you just showed the epitome of stubbornness by not raising your hand. Amen? Because at the root of our sin is our stubbornness that separates us from our Creator. We are, we want to control our own destinies. We do not want anything to do with God. But yet we're still living in this created state of God's image. Do you realize that we're all born and made in God's image? Still, even though we're in this curse of sin, we are still made in the imago Dei, the image of God. Now, trying to explain what sin and evil is, I'm going to say it can be difficult. If you've ever tried to define it, we fall short, but we know it's real. It's difficult to define what evil is. It's difficult to define what sin is simply because our vision is blurred to God's original creation. We've never experienced perfection 
in our lives. But God created all that there is in a beautiful way. The dilemma to understanding of what sin and evil is, I think has been just, it's been defined here by the, uh, the theologian Emil Bruner very, very well. He says, the more deeply we become aware of the reality of evil, the less we can explain it. You ever try to explain evil? It makes no sense. Sin is something which we cannot explain, something which will not fit into any reasonable scheme at all. In other words, evil and sin at its very core is irrational. There's something wrong with it, but we can't define it. And so this is why sin is so difficult to describe, because perhaps at the very core and the essence of evil and sin is the reality that sin does not belong in God's created order of things. Yet at the same time, this sin and evil are very much present. Now, all of the major world religions and philosophies, they all recognize that something is out of order, something is amiss, in the human condition, but none of these world religions and philosophies can quite pin down the problem. They can't quite define what's wrong. And so this is the dilemma. But our biblical account of evil and our sin problem helps us understand what's going on here. The biblical truth of sin clearly and rightly defines the problem. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31 You don't have to go there tonight, but that clearly states that all of humanity, all of creation was created good. What does God say in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27? God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. Everything that is was created good, very good according to the Genesis account. Yet at the same time, the Apostle Paul helps us understand in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we've got this tension. God created all that there is, including you and me, initially, and it was all very good. Yet we sin. So there's obviously nothing in our created nature that would really dispose us to sin. So God did not create us as sinners is the point. Let's make sure that that's clear. God does not create us as human beings to be sinful. That's on us. That's our fault. That's our problem. Evil is this allure that we succumb to far too often. It's attractive. Evil is fun. And it draws us into it. And then we find out the consequences too late. And so this evil behavior, really you could say, is an impossible possibility. God did not create evil in us. God did not create evil at all. That's on us. And so there's this impossible possibility that is real, that we deal with. There's the tension. Sin, really, if you think about it, is not innate to our human nature. It's really not. Even though... We're born into it. That's not the way God intended it. Sin is this spiritual contagion. It's a pandemic, if you will, (laughs) that needs a cure. So when we come to this all-familiar passage in Luke chapter 2, 
concerning this angelic encounter with the shepherds. All of this I've just said now leads us into this text. The plight of humanity really comes up to light here in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. It's due to this plight of our sinful fall that when we read the celebratory tone of the angels here, we now understand what they're singing about, what they're celebrating. They're celebrating the, the cure to the sin problem. Amen? That's what's going on here. It's due to this plight of our sinful fall that these heavenly host of angels have something to sing for precisely because the divine plan of salvation is underway. There's a rescue on the scene now. A rescue from the curse of sin is now playing out as God the Father and God the Son intended from the very beginning before the Genesis account. That is what these angels are praising and celebrating. You ever thought about that? Yes, they're celebrating the birth of Jesus, but why is it so important? It's because the cure is here. Amen? Y'all can say amen tonight. That's good. Especially if we realize how sinful we are and how out of the ordinary that really is. We've become so accustomed to evil and sin that we don't realize it's not natural to the human condition. God understands that something needed to happen here, and He sends His Son to take care of the curse. Now let's take a look here at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds and to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. This angel of the Lord presented here is the messenger of God proclaiming a great event that God is causing to happen, right? The phrase, the glory of the Lord shone around them, I think this is the indicator that God's presence was near, right? Surrounding the shepherds and the angel as they were talking, as this angel speaks to them, God's glory shines around. And so now think about this. Any type of divine presence will bring great fear. I don't don't know if anyone in this room has ever actually seen God's holy presence. But if we ever did in its purest form, wow. We're not going to be, we're going to be so dumbfounded and struck and in fear. We're not going to know what to do. Why is that? Because the sin problem that we face distorts what God has created good from the beginning, and that brings fear into our hearts. The fear that these shepherds have is based on this truth that our sin is not normal. And any presence of God's holiness illuminates, makes clear and shines a light upon the sin that is separating us from God. If anyone's ever pointed out a fault within you, that you know you were guilty of. Do you fall in fear? Do you feel a little nervous when that happens? I hope so. That's the first sign to repentance, is when the sin is revealed. You have offended me, and I'm showing you your offense. I hope that causes us all just a little bit of shaking, because that then leads to, I'm sorry. 
You see, let's think about this. Angels will often appear in Scripture in varied states, and they'll illuminate what's going on in different states. Sometimes these angels in Scripture, they may arrive in such a normal state that the person they're speaking to may only see them as a stranger. Right? We see this in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, that says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. There is, it's a possibility that an angel may appear to you, and you don't know that they're an angel, because they are in a different form of illumination at that moment. Now, we see this, this passage in Hebrews, you could say relates almost to Abraham's encounter with the Lord and two of his angels in Genesis chapter 18. There were three men that came to Abraham, if you remember that story, to tell him that, and he and Sarah, that they were going to have children. When we read that account, it's almost like Abraham saw that there was something special about these men and he wanted to have a feast with them. But they came in a different awareness to him than what these shepherds experienced here. Abraham did not necessarily realize who was visiting in that day until the end of the visit. It was only at the end of the visit that that became aware to Abraham who he was talking to. (laughs) It was God himself with two of his angels. But the angelic encounter here in Luke chapter 2 shows a much more glorious encounter. Why? It's because the message that the angel is giving us here in in verse 10 is the greatest message that any human could ever hear. Amen? Here's what he says in verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you what? Good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the message of tonight. Amen? Amen. Now, let's look here at verses 11 and 12. These are words of comfort from the angel. Remember, these shepherds were in fear. Let's look here in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in the manger. These are words of comfort from the angel, but also directing them on what's going to happen. This is an important understanding that although sinful, God will restore us. That's the message here. There's great joy in verse 10. There's a great king who is born, a savior, in verse 11. And then the angel gives them direction on what to look for. Because you can imagine hearing this story or hearing this proclamation from the angels, the shepherds were confused. What do we do? And the angel even gives them directions. Here's what you're going to do. Let's look here in verse 13 and 14 real quickly. After the angel talks to these shepherds, suddenly in verse 13, there was with the angel what? A multitude of heavenly hosts. A heavenly host is an army of angels. That's what the host means. Praising God and saying, I see a few of you smiling there. Is it okay to praise God on Christmas Eve? The angels did it. We should do it. And we should sing praises to the Lord for what purpose? Because the curse has now been lifted. We now have fellowship with the Father. We now have the possibility of of being in His presence again through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
That's worth praising him for. Look here at verse 14. And here was the praise. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. The King James says among men, but many translations say among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. Because there is no peace if there is no reconciliation with the Father. Yes, Jesus has come to save the world, but not all will be saved, unfortunately. And those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who have not been redeemed of their sin, do not know peace with God the Father until that happens. So tonight of all nights, let us stop and praise the Lord that we have peace with God. And the fact that a heavenly army of angels comes and sings praises, that tells you that the hostilities between God and His creation are over. Amen? That's worthy of praising. These angels... Now, the text says that the angels said... This. Now, I've heard some theologians try to split hairs here and say that angels don't sing. That's a different thing. I don't know if I fully agree with that, but I, I get what they're saying because the text says it doesn't say singing. It says they said. But when we praise, what do we generally do? We're singing. I don't know. I wasn't there. The tradition says that the angels sang. That's wonderful. Because God's mercy and grace is here in this text. He's providing a Savior for fallen humanity to show His love to us. It shows that God will not abandon us in our stubbornness. Amen? It shows that God, His glory is worthy of praise because He brings peace to the fractured relationship that our sin brings. Amen? At the same time, I want to, uh, just a little side note here on this. The fractured relationship that we as human beings have with God, I think can also be reflected in the fractured relationships we have with one another. This is also a night that we can remember that the Savior Jesus Christ also gives us, gives us the time to stop and ponder what relationships do we have that need to be repaired. Have we offended someone here recently in the stress and the preparation for Christmas celebrations? Trust me, families argue and fuss during this time, don't they? You didn't get the scotch tape and I've got presents to wrap. Right? Oh no, the families are coming in. It's going, the house will be chaos. Right? Maybe there's a fractured relationship somewhere. If God Himself can heal the relationship with us, can we do the same with one another? I think Jesus' birth indicates that God will, and He does, He provides a victorious solution to our sin problem. <laughs> those of whom God is pleased are those who receive the peace that only Jesus can provide. I'll close with this quote from the theologian Henry Nouwen, if you've ever heard of him. He says, Christmas is believing that the salvation of the world is God's work and not mine. That's what we're celebrating. Amen?
So let me, let me encourage us all tonight as, Marty, you come on up. I'm so glad you're here on Christmas Eve. As I look out upon this house of worship here tonight, I see smiles. I don't see anybody falling asleep yet. But man, we're here together as a family. We're here together tonight to celebrate. I want to, I want to close in prayer for just a second, but also then we're going to transition into a final hymn, The Silent Night, Holy Night. And we're also going to celebrate tonight in a time-honored tradition of the church where we see what light does in a dark world. Let me pray for us. Father God, we, we stop right here and we pray first for your mercy and your love toward us. Even though we are not created by you with sin, you do not impart sin in us. That, that's totally our blame. We fall short of your glory too many times and too often, dear God, we ignore you and, and there's something that rises up within us that we can't explain and it controls us and it's anger and it's evil and it's, it's wrong and we break relationships with one another and we break relationship with you and, and we do not glorify your holiness. And for that, Father, tonight we pray that you would forgive us. And we thank you, God, that your son came in the manner that he did, humble, a king born into poverty, but provides such great wealth to us through His forgiveness and grace. And tonight, God, I pray that You would just pour out Your Spirit in this room as we close our time of worship. Allow us to not only see what light does in the darkness, but God, that You would allow us to feel the light of Your holiness in us now. Let this night be for your glory. Let it be something that changes families. Let it be something that changes individuals. Let it be something that really changes our church com congregation as a whole. Lord, let this moment be for you. We praise you, Father, because you're worthy. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Ask, uh, could somebody get the lights right there? Dwayne, would you mind getting the lights out for us? As we light the candles tonight, a couple of things. One, adults, could you please make sure that you help the children? And number two, I want you to really allow this time to be a time of meditation and prayer. As you can see, the, lot, the room is now darkened. There's something about the light of Christ that we take for granted. But it does reveal within us often things that we're uncomfortable with. Let this be a time where the relationship between you and the Father is restored or healed or strengthened. Let it be a time where you say, Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Amen.